it is time. We recap the second night of the Democratic debates, the thrills, the chills, and the spills. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Wow, so that was a mess. I mean, that, that's, that's really the big takeaway from the second debate. The first night seemed to have at least something like an order. Last night's debate was just a giant mess. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't learn some useful things about each of the candidates, and we're going to go through all of that in turn. But what we learned about the Democratic Party overall is that a lot of people want to be president, a lot of people are going to yell about it, and all those people are radically to the left. I mean, this is a party that has moved so far to the left, it is nearly unrecognizable when compared even with Barack Obama's 2008 platform. This is a party that has moved dramatically to the left, so far to the left, that Joe Biden is now seen as anachronistic. So far to the left that anybody who proclaims that, for example, it ought to remain illegal to cross the border illegally, those people are now in the minority of the Democratic Party. This party has moved so far to the left that the entire Democratic Party last night, every single candidate on stage suggested that American taxpayers should foot the bill for the health care of illegal immigrants. So combine those two factors, basically open borders and health care for everybody. And what that means is that we are going to get to pay everybody's health care who wants to get in and can cross that border illegally. I mean, this is radical, radical stuff. But that's not what these debates are, are really about. In broad scope, that's what they're about. Because in the end, that will have an impact on how Americans tend to think about these debates, about the parties, about 2020 going forward. Half of, half of the debate last night will be used in attack ads by President Trump against any Democrat. So if you thought that night one was sort of an anomaly, if you thought that night one, where Democrats basically outpledged one another to give free money to people, was yeah, sort of an outlier, that is not true. The heart and soul of the Democratic Party is to the far left. And they are looking, I guess, for those extra three votes in Los Angeles and New York. And they think somehow this is going to help them win an election where they really need Ohio, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. I didn't hear anything last night that focused on folks in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, any of those areas. This was all focused on the progressive base in places like Iowa, in places like New Hampshire. And so that, that, that's really what it was. That's not going to bode well for the Democratic Party over time. They, they simply think that Donald Trump is so wildly unpopular that they can say whatever crazy thing they want to say, and that won't become the issue. I am far more skeptical than that. I, I think that the 2020 election is going to be about whom are we talking about? Are we talking about Trump? Is Trump still the center of attention? Or is it whatever kooky Democrat is out there proclaiming to the skies that they are going to rewrite the American compact and tear down the American Constitution? Because all Democrats had to do was not be crazy. That's all they had to do. They did not show it last night. Okay, so let's jump into the debate. The big loser of the night was Bernie Sanders. I know, this is controversial. A lot of folks think that Bernie Sanders is not the big loser. And the big loser was Joe Biden. We'll get to Biden, don't worry. But to me, the big loser was Bernie Sanders. Why? Well, because in the first night of the Democratic debates, Elizabeth Warren failed to shine. She wasn't terrible. She just wasn't anything special. She sort of faded second half of the debate. She's pretty boring. She didn't break out from the pack. And that pack, I mean, those are, those are ankle biters. I mean, those are the, the rest of that pack are Lilliputians. And Warren didn't break out. So that meant that Bernie had a chance to seize back control of the progressive narrative. The problem is that because Bernie has never thought through any of his ideas, he ended up just yelling at the clouds. I mean, he was like Homer Simpson's father. He's just running around Springfield yelling at things. That's what Bernie Sanders was last night. It didn't work. It came off particularly poorly. He didn't have any shining moments. All of his, all of his lines are basically hackneyed and old. 
I think you're, you're watching the beginning of the end of Bernie Sanders in real time. So here's Bernie Sanders being forced by Savannah Guthrie last night to answer a very simple question. Are you going to raise taxes on the middle class? Didn't go great for him. Will you raise taxes for the middle class in a Sanders administration? People who have health care under Medicare for all will have no premiums, no deductibles, no co-payments, no out-of-pocket exp out expenses. Yes, they will pay more in taxes, but less in health care. So that is not a great answer. That is an answer that is going to hurt him, right? Don't worry, you're going to pay less in taxes. You're going to pay less in health care, but you're going to pay way more in taxes. That's not an answer that is going to help Bernie Sanders. You know, points for honesty, but this hasn't worked since Walter Mondale, the, okay, we're going to raise your taxes dramatically pitch. And it got worse for Bernie Sanders. The worst moment for Bernie Sanders is when he was specifically asked how he would make Medicare for all work. Now, I will point something out about Sanders. There's no question that the debate moderators last night were out to get him. There's no question that the debate moderators last night asked the toughest questions to Biden and Sanders. And fittingly, I mean, they are the two front runners in the race. But the tenor of the questions to Biden and Sanders was significantly harsher than the tenor of the questions to Pete Buttigieg or Kamala Harris, neither of whom was really asked about their record in any serious way. Biden and Sanders, however, were. And Sanders had no good answers, which is amazing because he's been running on the same platform since 1932 when he was still rallying with the socialists at City University of New York. We'll get to Bernie Sanders' worst moment in just one second. First, I got to tell you, safety is deeply important to me. There's a reason for that. People are constantly threatening me and my family. Well, this means that I need a property that is safe, and that means that I rely on Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. We've got those. Ring also helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package, delivery, surprise visitor, you'll get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. As I say, Ring is fantastic. And it's worked for me before. I mean, people have, have rung the doorbell and I don't know who they are and I'm able to speak to them and make clear that there is somebody at home and that they should not go inside. Very often what burglars do, will, will, they'll ring a doorbell and then if they don't get an answer, then they rob the house. Ring prevents that because you ring the doorbell, it rings directly through to your phone. They can't tell whether you're at home or whether you're away. It really is terrific. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring Starter Kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the Starter Kit has everything you need to start building that ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. I think it's vital. I think you'll find it vital, too. Ring.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. Ring.com slash Ben. Okay, so the worst moment of the night for Bernie Sanders, who's been fading, was, was his answer on Medicare. So he was specifically asked about, you have this Medicare for all plan. And it's been tried at a few state levels. It's been tried in Vermont. They tried it. They talked about it in California and then decided it was impractical. So how is it that all of these leftist states have tried Medicare for all and it's been a giant fail, but your Medicare for all will work? How are you going to make that happen? He's got nothing. How do you implement it on a I'll national level, given the fact that it's, it's not succeeded and other states have tried? I will tell you how we'll do it. We'll do it the way real change has always taken place, whether it was the labor movement, the civil rights movement, or the women's movement. We will have Medicare for all when tens of millions of people are prepared to stand up and tell the insurance companies and the drug companies that their day is gone, that health care is a human right, not something to make huge profits off. So how are you going to make that happen? He says, well, I'm going to say that it's going to happen. And like, well, but how? He's like, so here's how you want to know how I'll make it happen? By saying so. Like, but, but how is it going to happen? He's like, well, I'm going to yell. 
and everybody else is going to yell. And if we all yell together, our yelling will be so loud that the walls of Jericho will fall. And everybody's like, um, what? He's like, no, the yelling is the key. The, what, what don't you understand about what I'm saying to you? Yelling is the key. Dude, no. Bernie Sanders didn't win any points last night, like as in, as in no points last night. So that's a problem for Bernie because he's been losing momentum to Elizabeth Warren. She was lackluster in night one, and then he was even worse in night two. So this is a big, bad night for Bernie Sanders. Does that mean he starts to crumble immediately? No, but he's going to continue that slow decline into obsolescence that, frankly, he has so richly deserved for years. And I assume that Elizabeth Warren will pick up some of those votes and maybe Kamala Harris, who we'll get to in just a second. The other person who had a bad night was Joe Biden. So Joe Biden looked old. He felt old. He, he did not seem on top of his game. Now, so far, he has seemed impervious. So far, nobody has really taken note of any of his foibles. He was attacked just last week by Cory Booker on his comments on, on desegregation and, and forced busing, and his comments on segregation as senators, his comments on crime. He was attacked by Cory Booker over this. It didn't help Cory Booker at all. But then again, Cory Booker wasn't facing him on a stage. Kamala Harris was facing him on a stage. And the biggest moment of the night last night, bar none, for both Harris and Biden, was this exchange where Kamala Harris went after Joe Biden on the issue of race. It's a long exchange. We're going to break it up. And I'm going to explain what's going on. Now, let me start with this. Kamala Harris is a deeply dishonest human being. Okay, what she's doing to Joe Biden here is really dishonest. So she is suggesting that Joe Biden is a racist while saying, well, I'm not really saying you're a racist, but you're kind of a racist. And what is the basis for her claim that Joe Biden is a racist? Her basis for that claim is that Joe Biden, back in the 1970s and 1980s, opposed forced busing. Okay, forced busing was deeply unpopular policy at the time. It remains deeply unpopular today, but you're not allowed to say that because anything that was well-motivated but bad policy on the issue of race is now considered to be good policy. That's how this works. So forced busing resulted in more de facto segregation in American life. It resulted in white flight. It resulted in the devastation of tax bases in more integrated cities as white people fled. It resulted in people taking their money and their time out of the public schools and putting it instead into charter schools and private schools. Forced busing was a very bad idea. There's a difference, by the way, between getting rid of de, de, de jure, like by law, segregation, which of course is not only moral, but also good policy, right? Getting rid of the government discriminating between the races and then trying to get rid of de facto segregation, meaning people who are voluntarily separate in their lives by forcing people to cross lines by, by basically taking a bus and putting it in a, in a city and saying, we're going to drive you out to the suburb 45 minutes so that you, we can achieve some sort of unspecified racial balance in schools. This resulted in a lot of black schools being shut down so that the counties and the states could achieve racial balance by forcing those black kids to be bused to white schools. It resulted in a lot of white kids being pulled out of public schools by their parents who didn't want them bused to largely black schools, not because they were racist, but because as everyone knew, this is the basis for desegregation. Those black schools were underfunded and poorly managed and, and didn't have the resources or and, and in many cases, the, the parental influences that were necessary to build a great public school in those areas. You know, all of this resulted in some very bad things. But the idea is that if Joe Biden opposed it, it must have been because he was a racist, not for any of the other reasons. It must have been because he was a racist. So Kamala Harris knows better than this. She doesn't care. She's a very, very cynical politician. And so here she is going after Joe Biden and essentially claiming the same thing Cory Booker claimed, which is that even if she's not going to openly claim that Biden's a racist, Biden's kind of a racist. Now, I will note strategically, this is very smart. Not only is she impervious to any counterattack from Biden on this because she's a black woman, but also 
she is in a position to now run as his VP should he win the nomination because she can grant him absolution. He, he can then select her and she can say, you know what? I, I never said that Joe Biden was a racist, which she didn't, right? She sort of strongly, strongly implied it. But this puts her in a position to be his VP. And then he can say, really, if I'm such a racist, then why is this woman standing next to me? Now, he tried that with Obama last night. It didn't work great. Here's the exchange. The key here is that Kamala Harris is aggressive and Joe Biden looks tentative, at least at the beginning. Then he starts to fight back and then he stops himself. That's the nature of the exchange. The other reason this is bad for Biden is the optics. So the optics are Joe Biden is an old doddering guy and nobody really knows why he is why he is running other than he feels like he is owed this. Kamala Harris is very aggressive. And if you are a Democrat right now, what you want is somebody who is aggressively going to prosecute Trump, right? That is your case. Your case for Kamala Harris is that Kamala Harris is very aggressive in this exchange. And that's good for her because if she's willing to take on Biden, she's willing to take on Trump. The same dynamic applied, by the way, in 2016. Donald Trump's pure aggression on the debate stage, as opposed to all of the other candidates, made him the nominee because people wanted to see him take on Hillary Clinton and throw everything, including the kitchen sink at her. Kamala Harris exuded that last night. She was clearly the most prepared. She was clearly the, the most well-spoken candidate on the stage, maybe with the exception of Pete Buttigieg. And she had herself a really good night. What that meant in this exchange we're about to play for you is that Joe Biden had a really bad night. I'll get to that in just one second. Speaking of bad nights, if you slept poorly last night, there's no excuse for that. You need a Helix Sleep mattress. You've heard me talk about Helix Sleep before. You know that when I actually go out and I get an advertiser's product as a gift for my sister, you know that it's a good product. Okay, Helix Sleep is that product. For my sister's wedding, I got her a Helix Sleep mattress. She asked for it because she'd heard me talk about it. She said, is it really that good? I said, absolutely, it's that good. Why is it that good? Well, it's personalized to you. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. No matter how you sleep, on your side, your back, hot sleeper, whatever it is, Helix can make what your body needs. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split that mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you certainly will. Helix is offering up to 125 bucks off all mattress orders for our listeners right now. You're really going to love it. I mean, I've got a Helix Sleep mattress, and this is a great deal. Get up to 125 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben for up to $125 off your mattress order. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Okay, so here was the key exchange of the entire evening. Here's Kamala Harris, the senator from California, who's riding at 5 or 6% in the polls, just high enough to start a base for momentum, go after Joe Biden. Consensus from the night, Kamala Harris, big winner, Joe Biden not. We'll see whether it has any impact on the polls, right? If, she, if he withstands this and there's no damage in the polls, he's probably the nominee. If, however, there is any damage that measures here, if Kamala Harris gets a bump and Joe Biden gets a bit of a decline, this may be the beginning of the end of Joe Biden's candidacy. Here is Kamala Harris going after Biden. We'll break it up and explain what's going on. I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And okay, it was it not So she's already mischaracterizing his comments. Okay, so his comments were that there were these segregationists 
and they were the worst people I knew, and I had to make deals with them. That was the entirety of the comments. She's immediately going to the Cory Booker place, which is you are praising segregationists as nice guys and wonderful people because you're a bad person. Now, Kamala Harris is in the Senate. She knows this is nonsense. That's why it's so cynical what she's doing here. She, I mean, this is a woman with no boundaries. My goodness, this is a politician with no boundaries. Now, in, in a normal, decent world, everybody would see through the game that she is playing here, but we don't live in that world. We live in a world where if you invoke the very term racism, you have now put Joe Biden on the defensive. Here's Harris. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. As Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a, a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden. Okay, so pause it there. We'll get to Biden's response in just a second. So what she's doing there is she's saying that just by opposing force busing, this makes you, I'm not saying you're a racist, but you're kind of a racist. This is a bunch of crap. Okay, there's a big difference between force busing and desegregation. Okay, the forcible integration and desegregation are not the same thing. Force busing was a government-sponsored policy in non-Jim Crow states, by the way, in Boston, right, in Los Angeles, in which the government was forcing children, 12-year-olds, to get on buses and go to schools at places they didn't know, far from their homes, both black kids and white kids, in an attempt to establish some sort of statistical racial integration. It led to the very predictable consequence of parents pulling their kids out of those schools in general, moving them to private schools or charter schools, devastating tax bases in precisely the cities that needed the tax base to stay the most. It led people to to, to move from those areas further and further into suburbia, leading to even more de facto, not de jure, de jure means by law, de facto segregation. Force busing was an enormous policy failure. It was started with the best of intentions. The government didn't have that authority, and not only didn't the government have that authority, the government was reaching into the private lives of its citizens and forcing them to do something. Okay, this is a big problem. Force busing was bad policy, and opposing force busing did not make you a racist. In many cases, opposing force busing was about ensuring that people continued to live together in the same community and that schools were organized by community, as opposed to forcing people to get up in the morning, take a 45-minute drive via bus to some other school they didn't know in a community they didn't know. As I say, black schools, many of them, were forcibly shut down by the state because they had to redistribute the black students in such a way as to meet the legal requirements set by the Supreme Court in Milliken. It was a case from the 1980s. All of this was, was bad policy. All of this was bad policy. But according to Kamala Harris, if you opposed the policy, the only reason you could have possibly done that is because you're a racist. And not only that, you would, have, you would have stopped little Kamala Harris from going to a better school if that had been the case. Well, no. What if we had been in favor of, for example, school vouchers, which would have allowed you to pick the school you wanted to go to as opposed to the government forcing you to go to a school that maybe you wanted to go to and maybe you didn't want to go to. There are lots of alternative policies that have been proposed by people who opposed forced busing that would be more effective in improving our public school system. But according to Kamala Harris, you would have stopped her from succeeding as a human being if you had stopped forced busing, and that's Joe Biden's fault. Here's Joe Biden's response. Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden, 
you have been invoked. We are going to give you a chance to respond. Vice President Biden. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true, number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when, in fact, when, in fact, when, in fact, my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King. Number one. Not okay, number so two. stop it there for a second. So Biden goes with the convenience attack, which is that she's an arc, right? <laughs> so, so already Biden sounds tired, right? She sounds emotional and enlivened. Biden goes after her and he says, I was a public defender. You were a narc lady. Yeah, the, not, not, the, not the strongest comeback. Not the strongest comeback. He does get stronger as this comeback goes on. Number one. No, number two, as the U.S., as, excuse me, as the uh, uh, vice president of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But, but they, Vice President Biden... Do you okay, agree? Pause it there and we'll get to Kamala Harris's answer on this in just one second. So Biden's final answer there is the right one, which is I've worked on civil rights all my life for you to characterize me as a racist is a vicious move. You don't have evidence of that. By the way, I should note that forced busing was not just unpopular with white Americans in the 1970s. It was unpopular with many black Americans. There's a 1972 Gallup poll cited by Slate, okay, not a right wing site showed that 77% of whites were against busing in 1972. The same poll showed that 47% of blacks were against it as well. In an article at Slate all about this particular topic, it's a very long and thorough article by a guy named Tanner Colby, all about this specific issue. He talks about the effect of this. He said that it cost cities enormous amounts of money. It did not actually end with the, with the goals that it purported to achieve. It was deeply unpopular all the way through. It says many black Americans did believe in the school bus and the access it provided. Busing might have been a viable tool for those families. Had it been smartly and surgically applied, it wasn't. It was presented in a sweeping fashion that denied many blacks the agency that they sought. There were huge problems in the policy. Just because it was well-motivated does not mean that it was racist to oppose the policy. In a second, we'll get to Kamala Harris's response to Biden, which again, she's gonna get deeply dishonest with Biden. You'll see. We'll get to that in just one second. First. Losing your hair sucks, okay? I have male pattern baldness that runs in my family, and that's one of the reasons why I am worried about losing my hair. Two out of three dudes are going to experience hair loss by the time they are 35. This is why you need Keeps. It's the easiest, most affordable way to keep the hair that you have. These FDA-approved products used to cost a lot, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to obtain. For five minutes now, starting at just 10 bucks per month, you're never gonna have to worry about hair loss again. Getting started is incredibly easy. It takes less than five minutes. Just answer a few simple questions. You can snap some photos to complete your online doctor consultation. A licensed physician will then review your information online and recommend the right treatment for you. Then it is shipped direct to your door every three months. Keeps offers generic ver versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products that are out there. You may have tried them before, but you're never 
going to have tried them for this price. Only 10 bucks to 35 bucks a month. Plus now you can get your first month for free. That's a hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. It's something that I am worried about and that's why Keeps is fantastic. If you suffer from hair loss, the last thing you need is to wait to see a doctor with Keeps. There's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it and you need it right now because once the hair is gone, it probably ain't coming back. These FDA hair loss approved products stop the hair loss, okay? But if you lose all your hair, you're bald, you can't do anything about that. So you need to act right now. For a limited time, receive your first month of treatment for free. Go to keeps.com slash Ben. Again, that's keeps.com slash Ben. For a limited time, get that first month of treatment for free. K-E-E-P-S dot com. K-E-E-P-S dot com. Go check them out right now. Keeps.com slash Ben. First month for free. Okay, so Joe Biden responds to Kamala Harris, and then Kamala Harris responds again to Joe Biden and doubles down again attacking Joe Biden. President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then? Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, there I did was a not failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the second it, class to integrate Berkeley, it, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step now, in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. Okay, that's this why is where we, Biden gets himself in trouble, right? So, so Kamala Harris is demagoguing this issue for sure, but... She is saying that the federal government had to step in because localities wouldn't do it. Biden is saying, well, wait a second. I didn't say that localities can't do it. I said that the Department of Education should not step in from the top and mandate this federally. She's saying, well, you know, there are going to be local governments that didn't do it. So if you like forced busing, then forced busing should be federal policy. So Biden is trying to split the baby in much the same way, in much, in much the same way that Mitt Romney tried to split the baby when it came to questions about Romney care. People said, okay, well, you pushed Romney care back in Massachusetts. Why not push it nationally? And he said, well, that's a state's rights thing. And people were like, well, but you said it's good policy. So why not do it federally? Well, the same thing is happening to Joe Biden in this particular debate. He doesn't have a good answer for it. His answer should be, Forced busing is a well-intentioned policy that did not have productive results. You're not allowed to say honest things, though, in the Democratic debate. And Kamala Harris knows this. She knows that Joe Biden can't be on tape saying to Kamala Harris that forced busing was a bad idea. That's why it's such a demagogic attack, because you can have an actual honest discussion over forced busing, but that ain't what's happening on stage. What's happening on stage right here is Kamala Harris starting off by saying that, I'm not saying you're a racist, Joe, but you opposed forced busing. And then if Biden says, right, because forced busing was, was a bad idea, she says, oh, you only think that because you're, you're not a racist, but you're a racist. And so she's trapped him here. He has no place to go. And finally, he gets frustrated and he starts lashing out. And this is the best that Biden is. And then he stops himself, which is just ridiculous. Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because That's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of I all people. I have supported the okay, ERA from the very beginning when Vice I ran President for the Biden, 30 seconds, because I want to bring you know, other people into this. I supported I the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I've also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of denying people access to the ballot box. I agree that everybody wants stay in fact anyway my time's up anyway my time is up that's the worst move he makes in this entire exchange worst move he makes he's finally gaining steam he finally has a chance to answer and he goes to where he should go which is 
the entire history of my career is fighting for civil rights. And he lists off all of his supposed accomplishments in this area. And then he says, well, I have to stop myself. Time is up. That's her key line, right? That's her big win right there. Because first of all, it's an old guy saying that his time is up. Second of all, it looks as though he is looking to get out of the conflict by, by going to the timekeeper, basically. It was a very bad moment for Joe Biden. It wasn't the only bad moment for Joe Biden. Joe Biden raised his hand when it came to whether health care should cover illegal immigrants, for example. Everybody did. Every single Democrat on stage raised their hand when asked if health care, government-provided health care, should cover illegal immigrants, which is an amazing statement. I'm old enough to remember when Joe Wilson, Representative Joe Wilson, who I believe is from South Carolina, was taken to task for going to the State of the Union address with, with Barack Obama and shouting at Obama, you lie, when Obama said that his plan would not cover illegal immigrants. Now every Democrat is saying, of course it'll cover illegal immigrants. Of course that's where we're going. So here is Joe Biden raising his hand. This is a show of hands question, and, and hold them up for a moment so people can see. Raise your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Every single Democrat raises their hand. Every single Democrat. That's an amazing thing, including Joe Biden, who, who did this sort of weird thing repeatedly in these show of hands situations where it looked like he couldn't make up his mind. Again, underscoring the idea that maybe he's out of touch, maybe he's too old, maybe he's past his prime. He would do this routine where he sort of raised one finger and kind of put it down and then raise another finger. It's, it's, a, it's a very weird moment. You can see him doing it right here if you're watching the show. He, he, everybody else kind of either goes up with a hand or doesn't go up with a hand. He does kind of this weird vacillating move. Doesn't look good for him. Meanwhile, and, and, and there were a couple other hits against Biden that, that scored also, right? Eric Swalwell, who really is just the worst of the worst. Eric Swalwell, who's irrelevant. No one cares about him. He's basically there just to, just to effectively torpedo people. Here was Eric Swalwell torpedoing Biden, and Biden's got nothing. I was six years old when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention and said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then-Senator Joe Biden. Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. I'm still holding on to that torch. Okay, that's the best you can do? You weren't prepared for the year old attack? It's not exactly, I, I will not comment on my opponent's youth and inexperience. It's not exactly a Ronald Reagan line from 1984. That is, that is some weak tea there from Joe Biden, and it was weak tea all the way through. Now, it's possible that it doesn't affect him. It's possible that he's somewhat invulnerable, that nothing happens, that in the end, people look at him, they go, okay, we already know Joe Biden. We're not learning anything new. We know he's old. We know he's vacillating. We know he's not too strong, but he's the guy who can beat Donald Trump. Maybe that's what happens here. Or maybe he looks like he was put back on his heels by a freshman senator from, from California. Maybe that's what it looks like because that's what it looked like last night, which means the big winner was Kamala Harris. We'll get to Kamala Harris is showing and why she is a particularly frightening candidate. I mean, she's, She's a frightening candidate because she, she openly espouses her own love of tyranny. It's pretty astonishing. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about that credit card debt. So for decades, credit cards have been telling us to buy it now and pay for it later with interest. Despite your best intentions, that interest can certainly get out of control quickly. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed-rate personal loans. No trips to a bank. No high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com. Tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow. 
pick the terms that are right for you. If you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform, over $35 billion in loans issued. So why in the world are you just racking up that credit card debt, letting those interest charges rack up? You're getting behind the eight ball. You're never going to get out. You need to go to my friends over at Lending Club and check them out. Go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check your rate in minutes. Borrow up to 40 grand. That's LendingClub.com slash Ben. LendingClub.com slash Ben. All loans made by WebBank. Member FDIC equal housing lender. Go check them out right now. LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check your rate in minutes. Borrow up to 40 grand. Make sure that you're not getting behind the eight ball with that credit card debt. Be a responsible adult. LendingClub.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay. In just a second, we're going to get to the big winner of the debate last night. That was Kamala Harris. We'll also get to Pete Buttigieg, who had sort of a mixed night. And we'll get to the very greatest of all the candidates. That, of course, would be Marianne Williamson. I mean, she is spectacular. Before we do that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe if you want to see the rest of the show live. If you want all three hours of the show, including our two hours this afternoon, go over to dailywire.com right now. $9.99 a month gets you the subscription. $99 a year gets you the annual subscription, which comes along with this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. We are on the road, obviously. And this signifies right here, this right here, signifies the leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. Its invisibility device, its cloaking device has been activated for safety protocols. You can have that too. Also, when you subscribe, you get access early to our Sunday special. This Sunday's special is David Barton, who is one of the foremost experts on American historical memorabilia and America's religious foundings. It's really great. You get that early on Saturday when you become a subscriber. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like. We are different from other nations. I know professors drive them crazy to say American exceptionalism. They hate that. The average length of a constitution in the history of the world is 17 years. This year, we're 232 years under the same constitution. So we are unique. We're the exception, not the rule. It's a really interesting Sunday special. He has great stories about the founding, great insight into who the founders were. Go check it out right now over at dailywire.com and subscribe also helps protect us against the vicissitudes of the big tech overlords, some of whom, some not all, some of whom are interested in shutting down debate. Also, it's that time of the of the week when we reward one of our subscribers by showing them with the leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. This is Meredith and she has a leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. It is indeed magnificent. Indeed, it's Meredith Minto. She appears to have just aced her schooling. In this picture, Meredith is wearing her graduation gown while flexing one arm and drinking out of the glorious leftist tears tumbler with the other. Her confidence is clearly justified. She's also wearing a stole that says valedictorian. So well done, Meredith. Congrats on that. She writes, couldn't have done it without these supporters. Hashtag leftist tears tumbler. Right back at you, Meredith. Good job and good luck next year at Liberty University. That is some, that is some good stuff right there. All righty. We'll see you on the other side. You're, this is the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. All righty. So if the big loser of the night was last night was Bernie Sanders, and if the person who put himself most at risk was, was Joe Biden, and he, he did because blood is now in the water, then the big winner, of course, was Kamala Harris. She was the most rehearsed. She's the most on her game. Now, because she was rehearsed, there's also... A, a certain lack of charm to her candidacy. And what Pete Buttigieg is really good at is looking somewhat spontaneous. And frankly, Pete Buttigieg, I think, has about 20 IQ points on everybody else in the Democratic field. So that helps. But Kamala Harris is a very smart person. She's also a very well-rehearsed person. She's the most politician-y of all the politicians. As she does her shtick a little bit more, I wonder if it's going to get a little tired. 
because people are looking for authenticity and spontaneity. And Kamala Harris is a shark. I mean, my goodness. If there's blood in the water, she is a shark. And you can tell how rehearsed she is because even some of the lines that shouldn't really be rehearsed are totally rehearsed. Here's an example. So everybody, last night, the moderators just did a horrific job. They did a terrible job with the mics. They didn't distribute time properly. Andrew Yang ended up with three minutes of total time in a two-hour debate. So well done, moderators. It, it, it gave Kamala Harris the opening to be the adult in the room, which is, I'm honestly shocked. I mean, these people are so unprofessional. I'm shocked that nobody else in the room did this. But Kamala Harris, she, she sort of parachuted into the middle of everybody screaming at each other like it's a mad, 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 mad world. And then she went, you know, guys, we all need to calm down. But she does it with the most rehearsed and canned line ever and then gets a big round of applause because everything is stupid. Hey guys, you know what? America does not want to witness a food fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. So I will note something else, and that is that the crowd was stacked for Harris from the very outset. I mean, I noted this on Twitter. It is obvious that whoever's in the crowd makes a huge difference in these debates. Bernie Sanders was not getting any applause for his cheer lines. Kamala Harris was getting applauded for every dumb thing she said. One of her big applause lines, and she was talking about when the president has the microphone in her hand, and everyone's like, ooh, her, because she's a woman. I get it. I get the joke. Wow. Oh, my. Oh. And people are cheering. Oh. So is that going to wear over the course of a two-year campaign, which is what this is? I don't know, but she had a good night last night. Now, she's unbelievably radical. She's unbelievably radical. By this, I mean that the positions she takes are so far outside the mainstream, I don't know how she walks them back in a general election. So, for example, she was asked about decriminalizing illegal immigration. There's this really dumb debate that is now broken out among Democrats over whether it's Section 1325 of the federal code, which makes it a criminal act to cross the border into the United States between ports of entry, whether that should be repealed. So now it would just be a civil fine and you would just be detained. And you wouldn't even be detained. You would just be released with a fine if you cross into the United States. Kamala Harris goes even further. Okay, she says, not only would I decriminalize crossing the border, meaning we can't hold you until you pending an asylum claim. She's saying not only would she decriminalize it, she would also make sure that she would not deport anyone. Anyone. So in other words, if you cross the border illegally, you rush that Rio Grande, you come across the other side, Let's say they, they cannot arrest you. They can issue a, basically a parking ticket. They give you a piece of paper that says, you now owe us $100. Okay, skedaddle. And then presumably everybody just sort of rushes into the Arizona desert. And if you make it, welcome. You're now an American. Here's Kamala Harris basically making this insane case. I will say, no, absolutely not. They should not be deported. And I actually, this was one of the very few issues with which I disagreed with um, the administration, because the policy was to allow deportation of people who, by ICE's own definition, were non-criminals. So as attorney general and the chief law officer of the state of California, I issued a directive to the sheriffs of my state that they did not have to comply with detainers and instead should make decisions based on the best interest of public safety of their community. So they would not respect ICE detainers, right? This, this, her case right now is that not only should localities ignore the federal government's request for detainers of people who may or may not be criminals for deportation, 
outside of the criminality of crossing the border illegally. She says she would not deport a single human being who crosses the border illegally. None, unless they've committed some other crime. Okay, well, at that point, you may as well not have a border. And seriously, you may as well not have a border. You may as well just call Mexico a part of the United States, except that they get to have their own governance. Because that's insane. And if she wants more dead migrants crossing that Rio Grande border, I can't think of a better way to do that than to say to them, listen, you go through a port of entry, and you may have to go through an asylum process, but you cross between ports of entry, you enter, we'll give you a parking ticket, let you go, and then you just get to stay here forever. My goodness, if she thinks that is a mainstream American position, whew. Now, Kamala Harris also happens to be a tyrant. So she kept suggesting things like, on day one, I'm going to do X. And the X was something that Congress actually has to do. So she would say, on day one, I'm going to repeal Trump's tax cuts. Yeah, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? You're president of the United States if you're elected. You're not even in the legislature. It takes an act of the legislature to repeal a tax cut. But according to Kamala Harris, day one, she's going to do all this stuff. She's a dangerous figure, a really dangerous figure. Also, she's a damned liar. And when I say that, I mean that she has now lied multiple times about her position on private health insurance. Everybody's ignoring this because she was leading a charmed life last night. But the fact is that you'll recall that she had an actual Q&A on CNN just a few weeks ago in which she was asked whether she would abolish private insurance. And she said, absolutely, I'll abolish private insurance. I'm for Medicare for all, just like Bernie. Get rid of private insurance, throw 177 million Americans off their health care plan, just do it. And then two days later, she's like, no, you know, I didn't really mean that. I meant that people should, should mostly be able to be on public insurance, but if they want their private insurance, they can get, I meant a public option is what I meant. Well, last night, they asked the question on stage, would you abolish private insurance? And guess what Kamala Harris did? She raised her hand alongside the only other Democrat on the stage who did, Bernie Sanders. Here's what that looked like. Who here would abolish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the only two people on stage are Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris. She knows precisely what she's doing there because nobody else on stage is raising their hand. She knows what that question means. Now, she didn't get a follow-up on it, of course, because the moderators suck. But, not, but beyond that, beyond that, she then comes out. Okay, so she has now flipped. Her original position was not abolishing private insurance. Then she flipped to, I'm abolishing private insurance. Then she flopped back to, I'm not abolishing private insurance. Then she just flipped back to, yes, I'm abolishing private insurance. And then this morning, she flopped back to, no, I misunderstood the question. I'm not abolishing private insurance. And she's just, she's a liar. She's a liar. Okay, I don't, I don't know how else you can put it. It's not as though she didn't know this question was coming. They asked it the previous night. It's not as though she hasn't had time to think over the issue. She made this gaffe like a month ago. Here she was this morning being asked about her. So, she, so, this, so this morning, she was specifically asked about it, and she backed off of it. Senator, uh, another defining moment in the debate was when every candidate was asked to raise their hand if they would abolish private insurance. In that moment, you raised your hand. But afterwards, your campaign says, actually, that's not your position. So what is your position on private insurance? So the question was, would you be willing to give up your private insurance? That's not how it was um, asked. For such a plan. And, and that's what you heard, right? Okay. Yeah, that's certainly what I heard. And um, in terms of, I am supportive of Medicare for all. And under Medicare for all policy, private insurance would certainly exist and uh, for supplemental um, coverage. She said no. She said, no, it turns out that I misunderstood the question. My fault, my bad. Sure, sure, lady. Okay, but in essence, because of that exchange with Biden, that, it's the clips that matter. That exchange with Biden is going to win her some. Now, as I say, if Biden survives this, 
he's probably the nominee because it means that he's basically Teflon. If, however, he starts to sink in the polls and people get the perception that he's old, that he can be damaged, then he's not. And you know who picks up a lot of that ground? Not Elizabeth Warren, who had a lackluster night. Not Bernie Sanders, who had a lackluster night. A lot of that support's gonna go to Kamala Harris. So Kamala Harris just bumped herself back into the top tier of candidates. Now, the other candidate who had what I thought was a pretty good night was Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg really shines on stage. He's quite good at this. He's very articulate. He says insanely radical things, but he does so in the mannerism of moderacy, which is of, of moderation, which is really a good skill. He he says now he, he does have this one weird tick that he keeps going back to, which is implying that everybody who doesn't support the agenda that he likes is not actually religious and is not actually a Christian. I don't think that's gonna play in a general election very well at all. People feel like they're being attacked for their religion by a person who not only supports same-sex marriage, I mean he is a, a gay man who is married to another man, but also supports abortion on demand till point of birth. Here is Pete Buttigieg lecturing Americans about their religion, which is a very weird thing to do in a democratic debate. The Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. Now, our party doesn't talk about that as much, largely for a very good reason, which was we are committed to the separation of church and state, and we stand for people of any religion and people of no religion. But we should call out hypocrisy when we see it. And for a party that associates itself with Christianity, to say that it is okay to suggest that God would smile on the division of families at the hands of federal agents, that God would condone putting children in cages, has lost all claim to ever use religious language again. Vice President. Okay, what the hell is he talking about? Who's out there saying that God would smile on the separation of children and parents? Like, who's, who's doing this? Again, that, that sort of language is really radical. Now, Buttigieg is very articulate. He had a lot of good moments last night where he seemed like the only reasonable person on stage. He's sort of posing himself as he always should have as the younger alternative to Biden. If you want somebody who's moderate, vote Pete Buttigieg, who's younger and better looking and more articulate than old, slow Joe. I, I actually thought, so there's a moment with Buttigieg last night where Eric Swalwell, who, as I say, was the designated torpedo last night, where Eric Swalwell went after Buttigieg. And this is being read in a couple different ways. I actually thought that Buttigieg handled this about as well as a Democrat could, because again, you're not allowed to tell the truth on a Democrat debate stage. So if the, the actual answer to Swalwell's question is, the facts aren't in, I'll respond to them when they're known, but he's not allowed to say that. Swalwell is asking him about a police shooting that happened in South Bend that has created a bunch of media controversy because a police officer allegedly shot a man who was allegedly carrying a knife. The man was black, the police officer was white, the body cameras weren't operational. And Buttigieg has basically been sitting there and taking the heat for it. And that's the only thing he can do in the Democratic Party. Again, it's an unfair attack by Swalwell because, as everybody knows, you don't have the facts. What exactly is he supposed to do as the mayor? But according to Swalwell, apparently he should fire the entire police department and replace them with the new Black Panthers or something because Swalwell's a crazy person. Here is Buttigieg responding. My community is in anguish right now because of an officer-involved shooting, a black man, Eric Logan, killed by a white officer. It's a mess, and we're hurting. And I could walk you through all of the things that we have done as a community, all of the steps that we took from bias training to de-escalation, but it didn't save the life of Eric Logan. We've taken so many steps toward police accountability that you know, the FOP just denounced me for too much accountability. We're obviously not there yet. And if I the, accept responsibility camera, for that because on, I'm that in charge. Policy, you should fire the chief. So under Indiana law, this will be investigated, and there will be accountability for the officer involved. But you're the mayor. You should fire the chief if that's the policy and someone died. 
Okay, and then the moderator jumped in and saved Buttigieg. Right? But the fact is that Buttigieg is giving a reasonable adult answer while Swalwell is not. I thought that Buttigieg had himself a pretty good night. Now, do I think that that means that he is a top-tier cat? I still think that Buttigieg is probably the favorite to be VP. I think that a Harris-Buttigieg ticket looks very good for Democrats. It's diverse in every way that it's possible to be diverse uh, and at the same time is radical in all the ways that it is possible to be radical. Those were the two big winners of the last night, except for one big winner. I mean, the biggest winner of all, and that, of course, is Marianne Williamson. Now, I know that we are all praying here at The Daily Wire for Marianne Williamson to win the Democratic nomination. And the reason we are all praying for her is, number one, according to Marianne Williamson, prayers are like little birds that float into the sky but come down in your heart as spaceships. I'm really looking forward to Marianne Williamson debating Donald Trump on vaccinations or something. I just think that this is, this is what America deserves. We've had this coming and we deserve to get it good and hard. Marianne Williamson was a delight last night. I mean, an absolute delight. So she led off with a point about President Trump. She said, if you think that plans are going to beat Trump, you are wrong. Now, here's the thing. What she's saying has like a grain of truth to it, but she's so odd and bizarre and charmingly kooky. And she's like a, she's like a Diane Keaton character from a Woody Allen film in 1974, Marianne Williamson. So here is Marianne Williamson. <laughs> saying, you guys are up here talking about plans. You know it will beat Trump? Something. Here, here we go. go. Go for it, Marianne. You know, I want to say that while I agree with, I'm, I'm with Senator Bennett and others, but I agree with almost everything here. I'll tell you one thing. It's really nice that we've got all these plans, but if you think we're going to beat Donald Trump by just having all these plans, you've got another thing coming. Because he didn't win by saying he had a plan. He won by simply saying, make America great again. Okay, and then she said, we need to talk about deeper things like make America great again. Everybody on stage is looking at each other like, Trump didn't win because he was deep. But what she's actually saying there kind of has a grain of truth to it, which is that make America great again has more emotional resonance to people than any of the plans anybody else is talking about. I, I, I'm sorry, I have to show you more Marianne Williamson. It is, it is required. So Marianne Williamson, her best moment was her closing. So people were asked what you would do on your first day as president. Her answer is so glorious. It is just spectacular. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and sir, love will win. Is she propositioning the president? She, she's she's going to meet him on the field of love and then harness him with love or something? Is that what, what are we supposed to gain from that? I don't know, but it was delightful. Preach it, sister. My goodness, that is some strong stuff from Marianne Williamson. I support her. I'm donating to her campaign. I want her in every debate forever, Republican and Democrat. I don't care. That is some solid stuff. She also, by the way, finished the debate by suggesting that she was going to call the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Do we have the clip of her, of her talking? Yes. Yes. Play it. Williamson My with first the last call word. is to the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who said that her goal is to make New Zealand the place where it's the best place in the world for a child to grow up. And I will tell her girlfriend you are so wrong, because the United States of America is going Bang. to be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. I'm going to say, girlfriend, you are so on what? All righty. Well, 
Marianne Williamson for president, man. I am on the bandwagon. Okay, time for a quick thing I like and then a thing that I hate. So, things that I like today. I do love Delusion. Delusion is, is truly wonderful. And Beto O'Rourke is participating in the grandest delusion that I've seen in quite a while. So Beto just broke his face the other night. I mean, he, he was in the first night's debate, giant fail, blew himself up, looks like he stepped on a landmine circa Tropic Thunder. I mean, just horrific showing by Beto O'Rourke the other night, finished his candidacy off. It was so bad he had to put on a tie while going on TV. You know it's bad for Beto when he doesn't put on his favorite shirt. But Beto was on with Allison Camerata on CNN. And she asked him how he would grade himself on his debate performance. And um, he said words, the words are not true, but they are delightfully delusional. Maybe he and Marianne Williamson can team up for a third party candidacy. I'm for it. Here, here's Beto. What grade would you give yourself for last night? I, I'd give myself an A. Um, I wanted to make sure that I got that point across. I described why I'm doing this, who I'm doing it for, the people that me and how we're going to meet these challenges and I felt like I was able to get that across Man, the man has no insight into himself he'd give himself an A because his whole life he's been giving himself an A for underperforming his whole he gave himself an A for not beating Ted Cruz in the Senate he gave himself an A for serving in Congress without a shred of actual achievement he gave himself an A for spending most of his 20s running around the country dressed up as a furry I mean like <laughs> man, I'd give myself an A bro because A's are what I've been getting for my entire life. And also, like, I like the letter A, grade A, hash, dude. Yeah. Beta. Gotta love them. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So Bill de Blasio, giant groundhog serial killer, mayor of New York, he made a boo-boo. He went down to Miami because that's where the Democratic debate was. And he then proceeded to drop a phrase that was a direct quote from Che Guevara. Now, because he's a moron and also a communist, he thinks that this is not a big deal in Miami, where all of the Cuban expatriates live, where people who escaped Castro's evil regime and hate Che Guevara live. And it's just amazeballs. It's so good. So Bill de Blasio is on CNN saying, I didn't know that Che Guevara said that, really. So why did you use a direct quote from Che Guevara? It's not like this is a famous phrase that people just sort of generally use. It's a direct quote from Che Guevara. Even Wolf Blitzer, who is not the brightest bulb in the basket, is able to basically demolish Bill de Blasio on national TV over this. As you know, it's deeply offensive to a lot of Hispanics, especially those uh, Cuban-Americans who are down in Miami. Well, Wolf, I understand that now. And obviously, if I had understood the phrase's origin better, I would not have used it. But it is simply a case of I literally understood it as a Spanish language translation of something I was trying to say to these working people about the fact that I thought they would be victorious in the end. And I apologize. I think in life you have to, as a leader, be able to say if you did something wrong, even if you didn't mean to, yep. apologize and say, look, I certainly didn't mean to offend anyone. I understand the sensitivities. Uh, I've learned from that mistake. Just really, um, okay. So <laughs> the fact that Bill de Blasio gets away with something like that is, is pretty sad, but he's not getting away with it. Nobody, nobody's going anywhere with Bill de Blasio. He's basically toast. Okay, so we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content. We have lots of good stuff coming up for you this afternoon. So this is why you should subscribe. There'll be more laughs, more tears, more forced political jokes. It'll be fantastic. Go check us out over at dailywire.com or we will see you here, not next week, I'm actually off next week, but the following week. So take care of yourselves, stay healthy out there, and 
calm yourselves. It'll all be fine. Have a wonderful July 4th. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer, Jeremy Boring, senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, another debate. We've got many more of these to go, unfortunately. God help us. Uh, we'll go over the highlights and, or I, I say, should say the lowlights of the debate, including, um, among other things, the Democrats all admitting that they want to give free health care to illegals, which is something that up until recently they denied. So we'll talk about that. And an especially disgusting article goes viral online featuring a woman bragging about all the times that she's cheated on her boyfriend and recommending that other people do the same. So we'll discuss that as well and answer your emails today on The Matt Walsh Show. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today. 